The reading this morning is from 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into an eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is the word of the Lord. So did you hear the story about uh, this small rural country church that got a new preacher? The church was excited. The preacher was excited. They had heard him preach a few times, and so they were needing a new preacher. So they invited this, this young preacher to come and become their new preacher. And it was great. For the first few weeks, everyone was so thrilled. But after a few weeks, the church began to be confused and concerned. You see, after the first Sunday, everybody everybody loved the sermon. They all thought it was great. And they went home, and they came back the next Sunday. And this happened for the first three or four Sundays. And then he was preaching the same sermon every week. So they began to be concerned, a bit confused, and so, you know, eventually one of the mature, um, you know, longtime members of the church goes up to this young preacher and says, preacher, I mean, we're, we're excited about you being here at our church, and we appreciate the sermon that you've preached to us several times, but we're wondering, when are you going to move on to a different sermon? Well, the preacher just smiled and calmly looked at this You know, this church member and says, well, I'm going to move on to the next sermon after you put this one into practice. (laughs) So here we are in our third week of our series, which we're entitling God's Agenda, Your Growth. And in some ways, this is the same sermon, again, for the third time. However, rather than being a rebuke to the church, because that's not why we did this, Uh, I'd rather like to think we're trying to get at this same idea in three different 
ways from three different passages and from three different preachers. So each September, we, uh, the elders, plan a series, a short series that we usually call our vision series, where we take either one of the three loves of our vision statement, love for God, love for one another, love for our neighbor, or we take our four key Uh, four core values, which we have in the lobby, uh, which we have doctrine, being spirit-filled, we have relationships and spiritual growth. And you'll see here, in relationships and spiritual growth, it's kind of circular. We, we, We see those things as working together. We grow spiritually through our relationships, and our relationships are strengthened as we grow spiritually. And all this is based on a foundation of good doctrine and being spirit-filled. So those are our core values. So this year, we decided to talk about spiritual growth. So three sermons on spiritual growth. And in particular, we're trying to focus on the fruitfulness, bearing fruit, that comes out of growing spiritually. So two weeks ago, Daniel spoke to us from John 15, um, uh, several key elements of, of Daniel's message that God prunes us And he never prunes too fast or too far in our lives. We need to abide and stay connected to the vine. Um, John 15, 16 says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit. And so uh, prove to be my disciples, he goes on to say later. Last week, Mike preached from Colossians chapter 1. Spiritual growth is not merely growing in knowledge, but it's... Uh, as it says in chapter 1, verse 10, we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And Mike reminded us that we all need to grow deep roots in order to bear good fruit. So today, this morning, we'll be looking at the same sermon for the third time from the book of 2 Peter in chapter 1. Um, And in some ways, it's the same basic outline. Spiritual growth is empowered by God. It requires effort on on our part and will receive a reward. That's kind of what we've gotten from all three of these passages. Each of these passages covers this ground in different ways. um, But they're all communicating the same basic truth. And though spiritual growth is kind of a broad topic, we could talk about that in all different ways of what we need to do to grow spiritually. As I said, the elders want us to think about spiritual growth and its relationship to being fruitful Christians. So please don't check out today just because it's the third time you're coming across this content. It's a different passage, different preacher, and in each of our own individual ways, We all need to hear the same thing said over and over again, don't we? I do. I need to hear things over and over again. In fact, uh, the verse after uh, we stopped reading today, Peter says, hey, I intend always to remind you of these things. And so I find myself in that, but where I often need to be reminded over and over again. So uh, so our, our big idea today, growing Christians produce spiritual fruit by God's power. Growing Christians produce spiritual fruit by God's power. And we'll look at it from three, uh, three sermon headings. One, the foundation of a fruitful life. Number two, the path of a fruitful life. And number three, the reward of a fruitful life. So the foundation, the path, the reward. Let's pray again. 
Lord, we have praised your name this morning. We've already confessed through song that that we belong to you, that we need you to fill our vision and be uh, large in our eyes and minds and hearts. Lord, we want you to build your kingdom here through the power of the Holy Spirit and by using us as your servants. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would especially be with those who feel stagnant in their spiritual lives, where it's a long time looking backward to see a time of just conscious spiritual growth. So I pray that we would have a hunger and a thirst and we'd be eager for a new season of spiritual fruitfulness as, as individuals and also as a church, that you would make us fruitful. So we pray, God, that you would even now be working among us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray specifically for our home group leaders within the church that, that you would give them just fresh vision and fresh power for the ministry that they lead among our families that those groups would be a catalyst for spiritual growth in our discipleship together. And I pray specifically, Lord, for members or attenders who just aren't connecting with people. They're having a difficult time relationally feeling like they belong. Lord, I pray that, that through a new season of fruitfulness, you would draw us together as a church. That we would know the the partnership that we have, the fellowship that we have in the gospel. And I pray especially for the the new people who have been coming over the the last few months and the last year, that they would find meaningful fellowship and community among your people here. I pray for our ministry teams and our ministry team leaders that as we try to be more effective and cast a larger vision for the ways in which we can serve you and serve one another, that you would, that you would help us. Uh, and I also pray this morning, Lord, for Pastor Maurice Wright, one of our prayer partners and a friend of our church, uh, and his church, New Dimensions Fellowship, as they celebrate uh, his 18th year of ministry at New Dimensions Fellowship Church. Would you be with uh, Maurice today in a special way and with their church as they celebrate that tonight? And we pray for our our family meeting tonight as we consider what you've done, what you're going to do, and what you've called us to as a church for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the topic, spiritual growth and our fruitfulness. And I initially was going to call this sermon, Faith is Not Enough, uh, but Fred Wolf looked at me and said, you can't call the sermon that, it'll be too confusing. So, so I, I gave it a different title, which is, uh, we're going to grow towards fruitfulness by adding to your faith. So we saw in this passage already that we're going to have to add to our faith. But before we get there, I want to see the problem. Peter is trying to address a potential problem in his readers' lives. And that problem is found in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me together. So if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's he's saying this in the positive sense. We're going to talk about it from the negative sense just for a second. 
What he's saying is if you don't do what Peter is compelling us to do in this passage, then it's possible that whatever spiritual things or things you're doing in your life are going to be two things, ineffective and unfruitful. So we don't want to be ineffective and we don't want to be unfruitful in the things we put our hands to. So, so Peter is going to give us some instructions on, on what, that, what we need to do. We've all, we've all met the Christian, right? We've all, we've all met a Christian and identified Christians that we would say, they just lead unfruitful Christian lives. They may talk a really good game, but when it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road in their life, we don't see much spiritual fruit in their lives. Now, I'm not talking about us being sinfully judgmental of people. That's, that's, we're all tempted to do that, to look down on somebody who serves in the body differently than us. But I mean, like, with sadness, we may see somebody who's been a Christian for a long time, and yet we just seem to not see much spiritual fruit in their lives. And that could be for lots of different reasons, which I'm not trying to address, but Peter is going to give us some things that we can apply to our lives. In fact, if we're painfully honest, we can look at our own lives and see that perhaps right now, perhaps at some time in the past, we had seasons that were just ineffective and unfruitful spiritually. Now, it's possible that a lack of spiritual fruit that we see in our lives could reflect like, they were not actually converted. Like, there's no spiritual fruit, it's, it's dead, there's nothing there, there's no spiritual fruit because we don't actually have the Holy Spirit in us. That's actually not the kind of thing that Peter is addressing here. He's addressing these people as brothers and sisters in the Lord, and he's expecting that, that they are going to have seasons that seem ineffective and unfruitful. So, Though it's possible, we could apply some of this to, well, you need to, see, you need to examine to see if you're in the faith, right? We had our, a few sermons on assurance recently. The point of the sermon this morning is, is actually to give us some action steps to greater fruitfulness in our lives. Now, Peter is also going to draw distinctions between what he expects the brothers to do and some of the false teachers in their midst later in the book. We're not going to address that this morning. But he's clearly addressing brothers in verse 10. And he begins this letter as to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That's pretty, it's pretty strong about who he's, who he's writing to. Those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with Peter, the apostle. So he's writing to believers and he's warning them that there, there is a possibility of a life or seasons in life where we are ineffective or unfruitful. So this passage from 3 to 11 is kind of a mini, a mini sermon that Peter gives to help us address uh, what we need to do to become effective and fruitful. So let's look at it together. Uh, go back to verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped from the corruption that is in the world of sinful desire, because of sinful desire. There is, there is a lot packed into these verses. In fact, in, in, in Peter's writing in Greek, it's one sentence from verse 2 to verse 11. That's a long sentence. We would call that a run-on sentence. And just to be honest, it's very confusing at points what Peter is referring to and how he's tying all of these things together. But thankfully, our, our ESV translators have broken it down into some smaller chunks that I think we can understand. Now, verse 2 begins like a normal greeting in a letter in the New Testament. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. But then he doesn't continue as Paul might in a greeting, and he just launches into this sermon, this very small, short sermon. Verse 3, he gets to his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, Peter He's going to get to some very clear commands here in a few minutes. But we need to start where he starts. And that is with some statements of fact, some indicatives. So where Peter begins in this exhortation to them is by saying what is true. And what he says is true is that Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need. That's what he says is true. His divine power, and just as, a, just as a note, his divine power is a very strong statement of Jesus' divinity. The, the his here seems to be the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power, Jesus' divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, all things that pertain can be translated, it is translated differently. Sometimes uh, everything required, everything that's necessary, everything we need. And the verb is past tense. He has given. His divine, by his divine power, he has given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, you're saying, preacher, uh, I don't feel like I have everything I need. I'm with you. I understand that experience. It, this is why it's so important for us to believe what the word says so we can live by faith. I don't always feel like I've received all that I need for any particular situation, but Peter tells us right here that God has granted through the power of Jesus, his divine power, all things that we need that pertain to life and godliness. He hasn't said he's given us everything we want, but he has said he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So how has he granted this? Well, I'm glad you asked. He says in verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I'm saying by, most translations are by his glory and excellence, not to his glory and excellence like the ESV has here. So, how has he given this to us? 
Through knowledge of him. So this knowledge, he's going to use two different words for knowledge in our passage. And this one is a strong word, and I think it's connected to our conversion, our knowledge of who Jesus is through our conversion and faith in him, our new relationship with Jesus Christ. Through that knowledge of him and his calling, we have everything we need. So, The first thing we need to realize is the knowledge that we have is because we're connected to Jesus, who Jesus is, and we've been called to him. Now this knowledge is, like how we get this knowledge is explained in verse 4, by which he has granted to us his great, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine Nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So how do we come to this knowledge? Through his precious and very great promises, we can know who Christ is. So what are these, what are these precious and very great promises? Well, at one level, I think it's the promise of the gospel that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And yet, I think it's broader than that. And the way I typically apply this particular verse uh, in systematic theology categories is this is where I would go to explain the sufficiency of Scripture. That what God has given us in his promises, his very great and precious promises, is everything we need for life and godliness, that we might know God and live a life that pleases him, We would say everything written in the Bible is this is what we need to know how to please God and live a godly life and be rightly related to him. So we're connected to Jesus through the the knowledge we get in the scripture of who he is. And this is how God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. So this is the foundation of. For a fruitful life. What is this foundation? Well, that God has poured out his grace to us by giving us knowledge of him and knowledge of salvation through the scripture. Okay, so we get knowledge through the scripture. God has poured out his grace. He's provided everything we need. He's called us to be obedient to him and to live by faith. And through this, through Jesus' divine power, we've received everything we need to live a godly life. So, in other words, salvation and living a godly life, life and godliness, both of these things are gifts of God that are granted to us through the knowledge of Jesus. So it's not like we just get salvation, but we have to figure everything else out. No, we've been given salvation and everything we need through the knowledge of him to live a godly life. Now, it's important that this is our foundation for a fruitful life, that it's by grace, because he's about to give us some commands, and I'm about to lay these commands on us, right? This is what God wants us to do, yet it's important to remember the foundation, the foundation, the thing that must be there for spiritual life is God's grace. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted all things that pertain to life and godliness to us. So in order for us to put into practice this pathway to spiritual fruitfulness, we need this foundation that it's all by grace. He's going to come back to grace at the end of our passage and say, the end is by grace. The beginning is by grace. 
He's given us everything we need by grace, and the end is by grace, and in this middle, he's going to give us a few things we need to do. So let's turn to that. Point number two, the path to a fruitful life. This is verse five. For this very reason, now, what is that very reason? If we're in verse five, for this very reason, what is the reason for that? Well, because... He's given us that we may become partakers of the divine nature and avoid the corruption that is in the world. By the way, did you you perk up when he said you can become partakers of the divine nature? Do you feel the weight of that? It's not just you can be a better person. No, no, no. Through what he's calling us, you can be partakers. You can participate in the, the divine nature of Jesus. We are connected to Jesus by faith through the knowledge of him in his word. It's a very, very powerful picture. In fact, he's using some, some language that the pagans around, this was language that they would use about becoming gods. And Peter's putting it in here saying, look, by faith, we partake of the divine nature of Jesus and avoid the corruption that's in the world. I, I went backwards. So verse 5 Verse 5, he says, for this very reason, because all this is true, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, here Peter lays out this pathway to a fruitful life. It begins with grace at the beginning, the grace of the gospel. And what is for this reason? It's because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. For this reason, we need to do this thing. We might say that God saved us for something. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are made for good works. So Peter says, make every effort. Some translations, giving all diligence or Do your best. This isn't a half-hearted measure. So the original original term here involves a very generous, personal, financial sacrifice. Peter is saying that we need to be all in in this personal effort category. That's uncomfortable when we talk about being all in. When we talk about making every effort. Uh, this is just the, the mental image I got here. Um, Hunt for Red, Red October movie. There's a submarine battle and the captain says, can we go to 115% on the reactor? You know, you know, not advised, but possible. He says, go to 115%. Like this is every effort. We are, we're blowing out the stops so that we can make every effort to do this. And in general, we don't like that kind of term. Or maybe, maybe it's in cross country and you're getting to that final sprint. 
and all the parents are yelling at you, you know, along the, the final bit, basically telling you that you've not run hard enough to this point and you need to run harder, you know, make every effort. You know, I, when I yell at my kids at that, they don't change, you know, the speed doesn't change. And I'm sure they're saying, I've already made every effort, dad. Go to 115% on the reactor, you know, it, yeah, it's not perceptible. <clears throat> We need, what, are we, what are we to make every effort to do? Well, we need to pay attention to what Peter says next. In my experience, like if, if we weren't reading what Peter says, if we were just thinking about what we do spiritually at these moments, we say, all right, I've got faith, I'm a Christian. And somebody says, make every effort. We automatically jump way over here to the fruit thing that we're doing, the fruit-bearing exercise, right? That's not where Peter goes. He doesn't go for it. Right, now you're a Christian. Now make every effort to evangelize. Make every effort to do these good works. Make every effort. He doesn't go directly to the fruit. And this is very instructive to us about the pathway to spiritual fruitfulness is not going just starting at faith, and then immediately, like, tacking on spiritual fruit. There's a lot of work, of internal heart work that has to go on. So he doesn't immediately go to share the gospel, feed the hungry, give generously to the poor, serve the church with your spiritual gift. Instead, he goes to less tangible heart issues and virtues. Now, many of these are included in other virtue lists in the New Testament or in the New Testament era. But he's going to say, make every effort to add these things. So we're going to look at, so there are eight things here that we're going to look at. And so here's where we get to where it says, supplement your faith with. Okay, this is the ESV, supplement your faith with. Uh, New King James, add to your faith virtue. Um, some supply you know, with your faith, supply virtue. Supply, so supply, supplement, add. So here's where I get, we have to add to our faith. Um, <clears throat> remember, he's already gone to great lengths to say salvation is by grace. We've already, we've already been there, but he is saying we need to supplement. So supplement, when I think of a supplement, I think of this, you know, uh, some vitamin or powder you add to your diet that's supposed to make you feel better. That's not strong enough for what we're talking about here. Supplement here is to provide something at your own expense. This isn't just adding a little something to go along with something else. It's, it's providing, it's, I think of it as this, if you're a carpenter, supplementing here is get all your tools and put them in the trailer and take them to the job site. Okay, supplement your faith with, with these things here. So, in order to do your job correctly, you've got to provide these things at your own expense, your own effort, if you will. So Peter is not suddenly teaching synergism where we cooperate with God in our salvation. That's not what's going on here. This whole section is bracketed with grace at the beginning and grace at the end. And he's clearly not teaching some let go and let God. Like all of a sudden you'll be, uh, you'll be a righteous person. Uh, David's in the pillar commentary says this, we do not automatically become more virtuous as if God infused virtue into us intravenously. We need to make plans and expend 
effort. So he's going to give us eight virtues which we need to uh, work on. The first one, faith. Uh, This is where it starts. And if we don't start with faith, then none of the rest of these are going to accomplish anything at all. So faith or faithfulness. So in Peter's, in the secular society around Peter, they would have talked about being faithful uh, to your family or to your friends. This is loyalty. But here Peter is definitely pointing at our faithfulness to God. And more specifically, this foundation of faith is trust in and dependence on God. Trust in and dependence on God. And without that, none of the rest of these virtues are going to get off the ground. So add to or supplement your faith, which is trust in and dependence on God. Add virtue. This is the word for excellence. We saw this word already in verse 3 where Jesus called us by his own glory and excellence. This is the same word for virtue. So God's called us by his own virtue and excellence. We see the glory of who Jesus is and we say, I want to be like that, right? He is so morally perfect and excellent. And that's what, that's what Peter is calling us to, is moral excellence. Now there's some debate in this list of eight things, whether we should read them as kind of this stepladder, okay, or just eight different ingredients of a faithful Christian life. And though I would definitely uh, understand, like some of the commentators, that you can't say you have to have all of one thing before you have any of the next. I do think it's helpful to think of this um, in the sequence that Peter gives it to us. What I would imagine here is a brick wall. So we're about to study Ezra and Nehemiah. We're going to have great pictures up here of the brick of the wall stone. So if you have a brick or a stone wall, the base layer of all the bricks you've got to lay here is faith. Without that, there's, you can't build on top of it with anything. And you also don't build straight up with no broader foundation. So you don't have one brick of faith and then a brick of virtue and then a brick of this and then a brick of this. That's not how a wall works, is it? You have to extend that base in order to build up from it. I think the same thing should be true here. So if you can imagine a brick wall where in order to have more virtue, you've got to have more faith. And in order to add knowledge, you've got to have more virtue, etc. Then that, that's the picture I have in my mind as I talk about these things. So we have faith, we add to it virtue. <clears throat> So of all these virtues, this is the second one we have. So when I think of virtue here, it's, it's, so it's moral excellence. But I might, in, for, for practical purposes, I want us to think about virtue as the, the desire and commitment to do what is right. Okay, The desire and commitment to do what is morally excellent, morally right. It's important to see this comes before knowledge. We'll get to knowledge in just a minute. But after faith, dependence, dependence on God, trust in God, the next thing he gives them is this desire to live a morally excellent life. To conform our lives to what is morally excellent. So we must not allow our theology of salvation to lead us to be lazy in pursuing virtue. God doesn't save us so we can be lazy about being good and righteous. 
So application question for virtue. Are there any areas of your life that you're subtly believing you can leave outside the lordship of Jesus? Or to say it another way, are there areas in my life where I allow a little moral compromise, a few lies, a little too much to drink, a little selfishness, a little pride, a little covetousness, and just saying, this is okay, because more or less I'm, I'm being a good person. No, Peter is calling us to moral virtue. Faith first, then to virtue. Then he goes to knowledge. Add to your virtue knowledge. <clears throat> now, we already have some knowledge because that's what, he, that's what he began with, right? May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This relational connection to Jesus of knowing Jesus. But this knowledge here seems to be more knowledge of God and what he requires of us from his word. So we start by faith. Trust in and dependence on God. Then we move to virtue, this desire to live a moral, morally excellent life. And then knowledge, well, what is morally virtuous and excellent? I need to know what God says about how to know God and how to live for him and what to do and what not to do. And this knowledge comes through his word. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, this knowledge, discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we've all seen individuals who go straight to knowledge. They, they want to know, no, no. They read all kinds of books and all kinds of theology. In fact, we see them as the Pharisees in the New Testament where God says, like, Listen to what they say, but don't do what they do, right? Their heart is far from me. So we don't want to be like that. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, right? We want to have virtue before knowledge, but we do need to add knowledge. There's, there's a, there's a, we need to study God's word to show that we're growing in our diligence to know what God requires and to walk in his word and Ways. So add to your faith virtue, virtue um, <clears throat> to knowledge. So question here, does my study of God's word show that I'm giving all diligence in my knowledge of God's ways? We need to add to that self-control. Now this shows up in the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. So self-control, this is my definition for that, the restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires. The restraint of one's impulses, emotions, or desires. So now that we have trust and dependence on God, a commitment to live a virtuous life, knowledge of what God requires, what could possibly get in our way? Well, my emotions, impulses, and desires get in the way of me actually living that out. So even once I know what the right thing to do is, I often don't want to do it. And so self-control is this restraint. In other words, I'm not always following my heart here. I'm not always doing what I want to do because I need self-control. Sometimes my desires and impulses and emotions run contrary to what God's word calls me to. So am I the master of my emotions? Or are they the master of me? How often do I act against my emotions for the sake of doing what's good to another person? 
If I didn't have any external restraints like social pressure, parents, government laws, do I restrain my own impulses or desires or do I always give in? Peter says we need self-control. And then we add to that self-control steadfastness. So if, 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 if self-control is restraining my own impulses or emotions or desires, then steadfastness is standing up under the weight of external pressures, difficulties. Uh, we might say this is endurance or fortitude or patience or perseverance. So in order to bear spiritual fruit, one must be able to be patient under trial. The Bible's full of examples of this. Job, Joseph, Daniel. Paul talks about it in Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So with steadfastness, am I willing to patiently endure whatever suffering God brings my way to grow in steadfastness? James speaks to that as well. So what do we add to our steadfastness? Godliness. This is just a general term that refers to piety, like being in right relationship to God, a proper relationship with God. So when we look at a person and say, she's really godly, what do we mean? It's usually a combination of the virtues we've already talked about. She trusts in God, lives in dependence on God, is morally virtuous, knows what God's will is and what God requires, um, <clears throat> maybe acts against her own emotions or desires to do what is right, stays faithful in the midst of suffering. That's what we mean by godliness, right? Seeing your life in relationship to God. So this piety may result in worship or submission to God. This is, this is where he started in verse 3, that God has, by Jesus' divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right? Life and godliness. So questions for us here. Do I examine all of my life, my attitudes, desires, words, in relationship to God? Do I, do I see all those areas of my life needing to be in submission to God? Finally, he goes to brotherly kindness and then to love. Brotherly kindness, the word we know, Philadelphia. Um, so this is familial affection, the, the affection you have for members of your family. And what was interesting in Peter's day is it was really strange because Christians believed they should have this brotherly love, this familial affection to people outside their family. Now, we talk about brothers and sisters in the Lord all the time as if it's just normal, but it wasn't normal until that's how God defined what the church was, right? That God's people treat one another as brothers and sisters. Peter goes on later to say brothers here. Um, but this brotherly kindness means that we extend the kind of loyalty and affection and love that we would give to our family members outside our blood relatives to the body of Christ. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we'd ask here, does my brotherly love, my familial affection, does it go beyond my family to others around me? 
Finally, he gets to love the top of the wall here of virtues. He doesn't end with familial affection. He goes on to doing good to those who have no claim on us, love. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. One commentary kind of compared these different loves. He says, in friendship, the partners seek mutual solace. In sexual love, or eros, mutual satisfaction. In both cases, these feelings are aroused because of what the loved one is. With agape, it's the reverse. God's agape is evoked not by what we are, but by what he is. It has its origin in the agent, not the object. It is not that we are lovable, but that he is love. And so as we grow in these virtues, it affects how we care for and minister to other people, whether it comes from the fact that we like them and they're lovable or whether we lay down our lives to serve them, to do what's best for them. And love is not an emotion, David's in Pillar says, the important point to keep in mind is that love is a virtue, not an emotion. Christians are not encouraged to feel warmly about each other. Although, First Corinthians, Romans 12, love one another with brotherly affection. There's some emotion there. But we are instructed to act lovingly toward one another. Thus, Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is what love does, not how it feels. So we're to love. So the path to spiritual fruitfulness, the path to spiritual fruitfulness is applying these eight virtues, growing, giving all diligence to grow in them. So let's see the result, the reward of a fruitful life. Look back at verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there are several consequences that Peter gives us here of living Uh, of adding these things to our faith. And the first is that we'll be effective and fruitful in the things that we do. So if you you give all diligence to these virtues, you'll be effective and fruitful in your knowledge of Jesus. And then he also says that we'll never fall. You see that in uh, the end of verse 10. If you have these, if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. Don't think of that as you'll never fall. Sin. I don't think that's what Peter means. I think he means you're never going to fall off, you're never going to stumble off the path toward the reward, which he talks about in verse 11. And you'll get this entrance into the eternal kingdom. Now, this entrance, did you notice in verse 11, the entrance into the eternal kingdom is not something that you earned or you contributed to? It will be richly provided for you. Again, we're back to. The grace of salvation. So we already talked about the negative consequences if we don't do this. 
then they are significant, that you'll be unfruitful um, and ineffective. So what, what, what must be true for us to be fruitful and effective? Well, these, these virtues have to be ours and be increasing. So this is, this is where we get to spiritual growth, like proper. So what do we need to do? So in, in these virtues that we've talked about, we need to possess them and be growing in them. In other words, there's, no, there's no being static here in these virtues. We are growing in them. If they are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. So we just have to continue growing in these virtues. Verse 10, he says, be all the more diligent. He comes back to this make every effort at the end. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. All right, I'm trying to wrap this up here and explain how we can apply these eight virtues. So this is my attempt at it. See if it'll catch on. So first, notice this. The virtues themselves are not the spiritual fruit, okay? The virtues themselves are not necessarily the spiritual fruit. What do I mean by that? Well, the virtues are the things that we have to put into practice as we're doing things that are spiritual fruit. As we evangelize, we need to put into practice these eight virtues, you know, faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness. As we, as we live in our workplace and are productive in our vocation, we have to put into practice these virtues. As we live as a stay-at-home mom serving her family, we have to put into practice these virtues. We have to see... So I kind of have a, a matrix in my mind where I see these eight virtues and in this area of fruitfulness in my life, how are these eight virtues going to be applied? So if I were, if, if my vocation was to be a missionary, how am I going to work on faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love? How is that going to play out in my vocation there as a missionary? So I would encourage you to think of different areas of your life and just list down these eight virtues and say, how does God want me to grow in this virtue while I'm doing this thing? How does God want me to apply self-control in my vocation as the employee at my company? How does God want me to work on self-control in my vocation as a husband or father? And see how God um, directs our steps to grow. Because I think if we don't apply these virtues to these areas of our lives, what we end up doing is just trying to, to paste on good fruit like without any context. And the context of this good fruit is growing in these Christian virtues. So whatever the Lord is calling you to do, how he's calling you to serve and to bear fruit you will need to add these virtues within that context if you want to be effective and fruitful. All right, so in conclusion, expect whenever we try to serve others or bear spiritual fruit that we're going to be confronted by our need for these virtues over and over and over again. In other words, whenever we're trying to bear spiritual fruit, we're going to realize there are areas we need to continue growing. And most likely those areas are captured here in 2 Peter chapter 1.
So what do we need to remember? God has given us how many things? All things. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, this doesn't mean you know everything you need to know or you've put into practice everything you need to put in practice, but God has given us his word. He's given us the Holy Spirit in us so that we can live a faithful Christian life. No attempt to add these virtues to your life will be successful without the Holy Spirit of God in you, empowering you through the divine power of Jesus. And growing spiritually is more than just growing in knowledge. I pointed out already that knowledge isn't even the second thing on the list. Grow in faith, and then virtue, and then knowledge. And we often think that we just need to know more before we actually do anything. And Peter's saying, no. You need to you need to have this desire to do what's right. You need to know, you need to grow in knowledge, but you need to still serve. And in order to put these virtues into practice, we just have to apply ourselves to fruit-bearing kinds of things. These are not just church activities. It may be your workplace, it may be your home, but we need to apply ourselves to, to doing the commands of Scripture and applying these virtues to our heart as we do them. And we may need to explore some, some service opportunities to do that. So uh, one of the things we're going to talk about tonight are our ministry teams at the church and ways that you can serve here within the church. We have a listing of these teams at cornerstoneapex.org serve. And if you go there, you see a listing of all our ministry teams and the ministry team leader and a link to say, I'm interested in helping here. Perhaps you need an opportunity to exercise service within the body of Christ. Uh, for the sake of growing in godliness. Let's stand together. The worship team's going to come up. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we want to live fruitful lives. And Lord, we don't want to just do churchy things and hope that they are effective and fruitful. And there seems to be so much work that has to be done in our own heart uh, to apply these virtues. But I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit as we seek to um, add these things to our faith, to supplement our faith with these things, to supply these things, to make every effort. Lord, would you help us in dependence on the Holy Spirit to add these things to our faith for your glory and for the good of others. We pray that your divine power would be manifested in our lives as we, as we step forward in faith to serve, to love others well, to minister in our community, in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood. Lord, we pray for an abundance of good works that would flow out of our desire to grow spiritually. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.